0: The first thing I want to talk about tonight is the inspiration of the Bible. There in your notes, the inspiration of the Bible. Now, let me just say that inspiration guarantees the accuracy of the revelation of God. This is so important for you and I to understand and to know. The inspiration of the Word of God, the Bible says, is the inspired Word of God. If you... In 2 Timothy, where you've opened up, uh, hopefully by now, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, we find that the Bible itself claims to be inspired. And it says like this, 2 Timothy three sixteen, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All right, now that literally, the word inspiration there in the Greek literally means God breathed. In order for you and me to speak, we have to breathe as we speak. Okay, if you uh, if you can speak without breathing, um, that would be impossible. I don't. You wouldn't be able to do it. All right, you would be uh, lying to yourself if you think you're able to do that. Uh, to in order to speak, breath has to come out of your mouth. That's why you know when you're talking to somebody and they haven't brushed their teeth, uh, no matter what they're saying, you're like, okay, put a put a breath mint on or something. Because I guess you wouldn't put it on. I guess you would put a breath mint. Uh, But you you say that because they're breathing on you. Um, Anytime you speak it, you're breathing out words. Now, that's what the word inspiration means there. It means that it was God breathed. It was inspired or by the inspiration of God. Now, the reason it's important, and this mic keeps going out, doesn't it? The the, the reason that inspiration is important is because it guarantees the accuracy of of the revelation of God. It, 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 it's what makes us know that this is accurate. On time here, on uh, right purpose. Yeah, I'm going to switch mics. All right, It guarantees the accuracy that God gave it to us exactly how he wanted to give us his word. So let's just talk a little bit about that tonight. Number one, the definition of inspiration. Because some people have the wrong idea of inspiration. Now, let me just give you a quick definition. Actually, this is more than a quick definition. It's a long definition, but I want to read it there in your notes. It says this, the Holy Spirit, the inspiration is the Holy Spirit's superintending over the writers so that while writing according to their own styles and personalities, the result was God's Word written in authoritative, trustworthy, and free from error in the original autographs. Alright. In other words, the Holy Spirit was, was there helping the writers know what to write. Now that doesn't mean that he told them word for word what to write. But what it means is he was superintending them or giving them the knowledge, the power to be able to write the right words. Okay? Um, and it's 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 hard to exactly illustrate, but we'll try to in a little bit, but it just, uh, know this, inspiration is the Holy Spirit coming upon the writers of Scripture like the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah and coming upon Matthew and Luke and Paul and helping them to know what to write okay, in the scriptures. Now here's how Charles Ryrie, another theologian-defined inspiration. He says, It is God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. In other words, the words, the papers that they used, the original words that they wrote down were recorded accurately. They didn't, they didn't have a misunderstanding. They didn't just put their own idea, but they put down what God wanted them to write, what He inspired them to write, and they had to record it down. Now, in this definition, and whenever you're defining inspiration, there are several elements that you need to understand. All right? You and I need to understand some uh, certain elements. Number one, the divine element. We must understand and believe that this book, there is a divine author to it. If it was just simply man's wisdoms put, put together, then this book would be no different than the Quran. It would be no different than the holy book of Hinduism or Buddhism. It would be no different than any other religion. What makes it different is the divine element that is here. We believe that... Uh, God superintended His word. It was, this is the Word of God. Then you have the human element. That means there are authors that actually wrote it down. God did not take His finger and write down the original words on paper. He used people, all right? different, different people from different ages, from different cities and different locations to write it down okay Uh, and that's important for you and i to understand that's why uh, they have their own personality when you write when you read the scriptures all right when you read joshua it's written differently than matthew all right when matthew wrote he had a little bit of a a different personality what he was trying to uh, to do and what he was trying to uh communicate to people while he was writing what he was writing Uh, and so there's still the personality of the author there Yet those words were superintended by the Holy Spirit to make sure that we have an accurate recording of God's word. The result of the divine human element, all right? There's a result here that inspiration covers, and it's this inspiration extends to the very words of God, all right? Every word of God is inspired, all right? That means it's God breathed, it's what God wanted you and me to know, it's what God wanted them to know to write and then inspiration relates to the original manuscripts all right Uh, we no longer by the way today have the original manuscripts okay this is not the original book that Paul wrote okay obviously not this is a copy that was probably made within the last 10 or 15 years okay the original manuscripts were there it, it 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 was what was inspired by god and then god began to preserve his word that means uh, he had other people make copies of the original exactly how they needed to be exactly word for word as he wa- as he had them do in the original uh in the original papers okay uh, and so god was the one that was going to take care be in charge of saying listen uh, right now, John's going to write this, or Paul's going to write this, but i got to make sure that in 2018, Jeremy also has that same exact wording. That same Word of God. And God preserved it for over 2,000 years now. He's preserved His Word. It's important for us to understand that. And then I want you to notice there in your notes, an uh, easy, simple definition for inspiration would be God recording His truth. All right, Inspiration is God recording truth. All right. We said that uh, revelation was God communicating truth. God was showing himself when we would not know about God unless God revealed himself to us. And that's what uh, revelation is. It's God communicating truth to us. Inspiration is God recording his truth accurately so that today I can say and you can say we have the word of God. Now, let's just look real quick at some false views of inspiration. All right, there is this view of natural inspiration. Uh, natural inspiration says that there is nothing supernatural about biblical inspiration. In other words, uh, they have this uh, idea of uh, inspiration sort of like Shakespeare. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever read any poems of Shakespeare or maybe studied in English class. And they'll say, man, that was really inspired. He was really inspired when he wrote this. And, and, and maybe sometimes you might even describe about yourself. You're like you. You get real inspired about a game, about something, and you and you and you write write it out. Write it out on your uh, social media. You write something out, and they say, "Man, he was really inspired to do that." That is known as natural inspiration. But biblical inspiration isn't that. It wasn't that Paul woke up one day and goes, "Man, I, I gotta write this. I just I'm excited. I gotta write this." And what God's tell me, that's not what it was at all all right inspiration isn't that it's not this natural good feeling that we would sometimes use that word today sometimes when you say man he was inspired to do that work we what we're saying is he was very excited and and he had this vision to get it done but biblical inspiration doesn't mean that another false view is spiritual illumination and that says that some Christians may have spiritual insight that although similar to other Christians is greater in degree in other words, spiritual illumination, people that believe that about the Bible say, well, I know Eliud is a good Christian, but he's not as good of a Christian as Pastor Jeremy. So because of that, Pastor Jeremy, what he says really is more important, and what he says is more of God's Word than Eliud. Now that's a false view you know that the word of god was for all of us we are all equal in that sense nobody has more spiritual illumination than someone else the bible says that all scripture is given for us so that we can all grow this is not just for certain people but for all christians all right then i want you to notice thirdly and that is the uh partial or dynamic inspiration and that says that parts of the bible related to matters of faith and practice are inspired Whereas matters related to history, science, chronology, or other non-faith matters may be in error. Now, a quick example of this is that for many years, people that denied the Bible, they said there is no uh, such thing as the Hittites. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, and First and 2 Samuel, and really throughout most of the Old Testament, you'll find that there is a a empire a kingdom known as the hittites and they came and they conquered israel on different occasions god allowed them to and there's a lot to be said about the hittites well archaeologists for many years could not find anything about the hittites nothing we didn't find any writings about them nothing that would even remotely say that they existed so many people that denied that this is the word of god would say well what about when it says about the hittites see That's how you know you can't believe everything that the Word of God says. You can believe some things. Like God loves you. Well, that you can believe. But Hittites, you know, there's no evidence for that. So I don't know that you can believe that. Now here's a problem with that kind of thinking. When that becomes the kind of thinking that someone has, let me ask you, who becomes the author of truth? Who becomes the one that determines if something is true or not? If you say I can't believe everything in the Bible, because I don't think everything in the Bible is true, there are some truths in there, but not everything is true. Who determines then what is true and what is not true? Who does? You do. The person reading, whoever's reading it, determines. Yeah, I believe that, and that I don't believe. Some of our founding fathers would like that. Thomas Jefferson was like that. That's what he believed. He believes some of the Bible is true, some of it is not. And he tried to take out of his Bible things that he didn't agree with and things that he didn't believe. But here's the problem. When that happens, guess what? You have just promoted yourself to God. Because if God is the only one that can know truth because He is perfect, then how is it that you and I are determining what we believe is true and not true? That's called humanism. It's called, hey, I know better than God knows. So when you have a partial or dynamic inspiration that people sometimes believe about the Bible, that leads to so many problems that really the fact of the matter is either all of this is true or all of it is false. Because if not, you get to determine what is true. Well, if you're going to determine what is true, then why do you need this book? Just figure it out you're making your own determination anyway that's why it's so important that we understand the biblical inspiration means all of this is true when it talks about science this is true when it talks about history it's true when it talks about spiritual truth it's true then we have another kind of inspiration that's a false view and it's called conceptual inspiration And this says that the concepts or ideas of the writers are inspired, but not the words. All right? So they'll say, yeah, it says it like this, but those words, you can't, you can't, you know, study the words of the Bible, just study the concepts, right? You know, it says, uh, forgive your enemies, love your enemies. Well, you know, you you don't want to say exactly love your enemies. It means just to treat people nice. You really just got to treat people nice. That's the idea. But the Bible says you've got to love your enemies. Yeah, 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 but you can't say love your enemies exactly because those are the. what you really need to understand is the concept or idea. And people that have this kind of inspiration, that's what they would say. You don't exactly have to love your, your enemies. What, what the Bible is trying to say is that we just got to be nice to people. That's just what it means. So when you take a conceptual inspiration view, that's what you're saying. You're saying only the ideas of Scripture matter, but then we come back to the same thing. Well, the problem is is that how you interpret it and how I interpret it might be different. What you think the big idea is might be different from what I think the big idea is. That's why God knew in His omniscience that we have to believe that word for word, this is the Word of God, the truth of God. And then you have the last one here, divine dictation. And that states that God dictated the words of Scripture and men wrote them down in a passive manner mean they were like secretaries who were just writing down the words they heard like they heard god you know say for god so loved the world that's divine dictation and that's not what happened all right god did not talk and whisper into their ear what to say that's not that's not how the bible came to be by them having that idea that's not what inspiration is. Inspiration, once again, is the Holy Spirit superintending what was being written, what was done. Uh, Rochelle, I'm sorry. Can you plug in my computer because I see it's about to die. Uh, real quick. So we find that those are all false views of inspiration. Real quick there in your notes. Then, what is the biblical view of inspiration? If it wasn't God just whispering in people's ear, and if it's not conceptual, and it's not... If it's all... If it really is the superintending of the Holy Spirit on these men, what should be the right view of inspiration? Number one, verbal, plenary inspiration. That means that the whole Bible, every word, is inspired by God, and that every part of the Bible is equally inspired. And this is important. This is important, okay? Just as important as it is to understand that when the Bible says that God loves you, that's inspired. It also, when it says that we are to honor our father and mother, that's also important. That's equally important. That's equally inspired. Sometimes we have this idea, and and listen, this happens to everybody, but sometimes you have the idea like there are some really important verses in the Bible, and then there's other, other verses that, eh, they're not that important. What verbal plenary means in inspiration, it means that every word is important and every word is not just important, it's equally important. Okay? So that's why you'll notice sometimes when I'm preaching, I'll talk to you and I'll say, in the Greek it says this. Why? Because the Greek was the inspired word of God. It's the original language that was used. And every word in that Greek language is important. The order of the words and what the words mean, those are all very important. And so it's important that we study those words to understand this is what God wants us to know. Now what we have is a translation of the Greek. Okay? Now translations... They differ. If I were to ask you uh, maybe to translate something, if I gave you something in Spanish and I said translate it in English, there might be some different translations. Now most of us would probably have the same, and then there would be some variations of it, okay? And so that's why there's some variations in our translations. Some people uh, see this word and they'll, they'll translate it differently, right? But, in any case the original is what you want to study what does the original say what does uh, the original uh, have written there that's what you want to study why because the inspiration of scriptures means that every word is is uh, inspired and it's every word is equally inspired then i want you to notice the inerrancy of the bible all right the inerrancy of the Bible we'll do two more minutes of this and then we'll be done with our notes this evening the inerrancy of the Bible now inerrancy can be defined simply as the Bible tells the truth truth that does include approximations free quotations language of appearances and different accounts of the same event as long as those do not contradict all right Inerrancy allows, it just simply means to, to say that the Bible is inerrant means that it tells the truth. Let me put it this way. Did you know that the Bible has lies? That's a fact. But the lies that it has is to tell you what happened accurately. For instance, if you remember in the story of Joshua, you remember they sent the two spies in? right? And they got to Rahab's house. And Rahab, when the men came of the city, came and said, hey, there's two spies that were among us. Have you seen them? And she said, I did see them. They came. And then she told a lie and said, oh, they went out that way towards the field. Go look for them. That's a lie. They weren't in the field. The Bible says that's a lie, but it's what she said. Okay, it's telling you this is what happened. It's not saying that it was good. It's not the Bible's not saying that that's the best thing to do. The Bible is just saying this is what happened. All right, here's the accurate story. Now, I was going to try to illustrate this tonight, but I don't have time. But I was going to try to illustrate it by having uh, uh, Ms. Rochelle or, or Mr. Mo just come run across over here. Come tell me something and then walk out. And then I was going to have everybody, okay, write down what you just saw. Now what's amazing is that some people over here, like maybe Brian in the corner, might write down something very different than what maybe Andres on that side would write. Maybe he saw what Moses had in his hand. Maybe Andres never saw it. Maybe uh, they could hear, maybe uh, Zelma could hear what Moses told me while maybe uh, uh, Mingo in the back didn't even hear it. So when you write it down, and Zelma says, "Well, Moses said this," and uh, Mingo says, "Well, Moses ran across the, the the platform and said something to Jeremy," who's telling the truth? Well, they both are, except she heard it and he didn't. That's what inerrancy means. It's saying I'm going to write down accurately what I saw. That's why sometimes you can read in the Book of Matthew, you can read something, and then read the same story in the uh, the Book of Luke, and there's a little bit of difference. And Luke might be a little bit more detailed. He might give you more details. And then you go, oh. It's not that Matthew's lying and Luke's telling the truth. It's just that they have two different viewpoints of what happened. This happens a lot when you're a police officer and you arrive to a scene of a car accident. You talk to different witnesses and man, they can tell you 10 different stories. And to be honest, most of them are not lying. It's just from where they were standing and what they could see was different from where the other witness was standing and what they could say. The Bible, listen, in its recording of truth, remember, inspiration is recording God's truth. In its recording of truth, it is inerrant. It tells the truth no matter what. When it talks about David and what David did, that's not a flattering story. I don't know how many of you, when you get married, uh, would like to get all you know, have everybody know all that you've done wrong. I'm sure it's not something that you would want. It's not something that David, if he had his choice, would say, yeah, can you tell them how I cheated on my wife? Can you tell them what happened that night and what led me to do that? (laughs) No. Just like tonight, you wouldn't want me to say, if I knew something bad about you, to say, oh, let me tell you what uh, you know." Eduardo did this week, and let me just tell you how he missed. You don't want that. Like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? But in Scripture... When they're telling what happened, they're telling it accurately. The author that's talking about what happened in David there in the book of Samuel, he's telling exactly what happened. He's not leaving anything out. He's telling you the whole story. That's what inerrant means. It means telling the truth. No matter what that truth is, no matter if that truth contains people that were lying, people that were cheating, people that were stealing, or people that were killing. Listen, this is just what happened. That makes the Bible inerrant. It tells us that we can tell the truth. I don't have time. It looks like everyone is out already. Is, are the adults out? Anybody know? No? All right, I'm going to give this last, uh, this last page of notes, and then we'll. Uh, I think this is on there. So real quick, this last page of notes. Inerrancy, what does that allow for then? It allows for variety in style. All right. As I said, if, y'all were gonna re, uh, if I asked you to write down something like that, Moses running across uh, the platform here and telling me something. You're all going to have your own language of how you do it. You'll probably use different words according to your personality. Some of you might write down, dude, that was crazy. Others might be, well, at 8.45, you know, central standard time, Mr. Moses Moreno walked across the platform It's like, okay, who, who talks that way? All right, well, whatever. Some of you might write that way. I don't know. But everybody would write their own style. Inerrancy allows for that. Inerrancy allows for a variety of details. As I said, depending on your point of view, you might have more details than someone else. Inerrancy does not demand verbatim reports of events. All right, some people don't want to believe the Bible and say, well, in Matthew it says this, and in Mark it says this, and in Luke it says this, and John says, John doesn't even talk about it. OK. That's OK. You can have different stories. It is OK. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be word for word, OK? If we we're were we in here and someone were to come in and, and begin with a gun to start shooting, all our witnesses to the police, what we give, our testimony to him of what happened, they don't all have to agree exactly. But they have to be similar. Obviously, we have to say, hey, there was a gunman that came in and this is what he did. But the details might be different. It doesn't require us to say exactly the same wording every time. Inerrancy allows <clears throat> for departure from standard forms of grammar. And this is uh, something that's important as well. Uh, Once again, standards of grammar are the way that we structure our language. Okay. Now let me tell you, the Greek language is different from the English language, not only in the way you pronounce it and speak it, but in the way you write it. For instance, if you've taken grammar, you know, usually in a sentence, what comes first? Does anybody know? Subject and then the verb and then you have indirect objects or direct objects and adverbs and things like that all right and every time listen i know english class i thought we were in i thought we were in church i know i mean i'm trying to make a point here usually in a sentence you have the subject and verb and then and it's always structured that way now let me tell you something in greek it's not like that this is why i hated greek in bible college okay in greek the way they form their senten- sentences is by the most important thing. So, for instance, let's say I was talking about my house, and I really want to emphasize to you that the house is is, is, is you know nice and uh, uh, and big and beautiful. Well, most of the time uh, in in the uh, in the English uh, language, you can you can even use sometimes house as a direct object or something like that, but. In the Greek language, I wouldn't say the house is. Uh, if I wanted to emphasize that it was beautiful, I would say beautiful house is. Now, we wouldn't say that in English. You'd say, what, what are you, you know, the Star Wars guy? No, uh, it, we're, there's a structure. But when it comes to the Bible grammar, because the Greek is not structured like the English, we can't always make it fit like that. So that's why it's so important. Sometimes you'll hear a preacher say, Now, this is a key word in this verse. This is an important word. And the reason they say that is because in the Greek, in that sentence, that word is the first word in the sentence. That's how they spoke. If they wanted to emphasize whatever they wanted to emphasize, that was going to be the first word of their sentence, which is a little bit weird for us. We're like, No, that's just not the way it works. All right? So when it comes to this of inerrancy, there's, there's room to not have the same exact form of grammar. Then, inerrancy allows for problem passages. There are some passages that are difficult to understand. There are some things that uh, we may not understand completely what that means. You read the book of Revelation, for instance. It's hard to understand everything that that book is talking about. All right. And then you find the last there in your notes. Lastly, inerrancy demands the account does not teach error or contradiction. All right. For sure, inerrancy also means uh, that there can't be contradictions in stories. All right. Luke and Matthew, uh, Matthew can't say Peter walked on water, and Luke say Peter swam in the water. To Jesus, no. Now you're contradicting. Now, did he walk on the water or did he not? No. Both of them say that he walked on water. So uh, they have to agree on the uh, obviously on the main uh, points that they're making. There can't be contradictions there. Inerrancy means it's going to tell the truth accurately as it happened all right next week we're going to talk a little bit about the canonicity of scripture we'll talk about what that even means we don't have time to get into it tonight but hopefully it'll help you realize how this all came to be and how we have it in our hands this is a a long process to understand but i think it's important guys because this is what people are attacking every day okay if you go to work if you go to school if you go to the store it doesn't matter you turn on tv they want to attack this book If they can make you doubt that this is the Word of God, if they can make you doubt that this is the truth, then they feel like they can get you on their philosophy and on the wrong path. I want to convince you that this is the truth, and there's reasons why we believe that this is the truth. So we'll learn about that more next week.